Welcome to That Blind Lad's podcast. My name is Jamie McAllister, also known as That Blind Lad. If you're not already, please make sure you are subscribed or following to wherever you listen to your podcast to be notified of all future episodes and maybe leave a review as we really would appreciate it. One more thing before we speak to our guest and that is to say a massive thank you to our sponsor, FC Sensory, a football club based in Coventry specifically for visually impaired and blind people under the age of 16. They host sessions at the Exile Centre, Tile Hill, Coventry, most Saturdays, no matter if the young person has played blind football before or they are brand new to it, the sessions are for everyone. And the best part, they're free. For more details, you can follow FC Sensory on Facebook and X or you can email them directly at fcsensory at protonmail.com. That's fcsensory at protonmail.com. Let's get into today's episode. Today, I am joined by football writer and podcaster, and that is Aaron Diskin. Aaron, how are you doing, my friend? Hello, mate. I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I'm, I'm very honoured to be on the podcast. I've been listening for a while, and yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to be involved. And thank you, and thank you for, for listening. And um, so I've said to you before, it's always a bit weird when people say, I listen to your podcast, I didn't know anyone listens. <laughs> but yeah, how, uh, how are you? How's, how's life? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to be in uh, New Year, if I'm being honest. The sort of back end to 2023 was quite a quite a difficult one because we had um, we had quite a um, a passing in the family quite close to Christmas. My granddad um, passed away, and then and then I was quite poorly towards the back end of the year. But I'm I'm fighting fit now, and I'm I'm ready to attack the year. So yeah, uh, 2024 is going to be my year, Jamie. I'm sure it is. I bet it, hope it will, and and I'm glad to hear that you're uh you you're doing better now, and hopefully 2024 is a like you said a much better year for you. So with all my guests, I like to kind of understand them as a as a person, and kind of you know understand why you are the person you are today. What would you tell? What do you feel you need to tell me and the people listening to understand you as a person? So, is there any influences in your early years that? you feel make the person you are today so i think just going back straight um to the start obviously i have um cerebral palsy um i was born uh four months premature at birth and had two bleedings on my left side of my brain uh which left me unable to walk and so i knew i, I was never going to be able to walk and stuff and that, but growing up i was very lucky because i've got uh, like, i've always had like a really tight family and a, like a really tight group of friends that have been sort of like, you don't, we're not going to let your disability define you. You can sort of do what you want to do and sort of, you know, carve out your own sort of interests and carve out your own sort of like uh, interest in sort of your career and stuff. And I, I'm very thankful for that. So when we talk about influences, I guess, I know this is quite corny to say, but I guess I've got to say my family and specifically my parents were never really like, being like putting like roadblocks for me to be able to go on to achieve what I've gone on to achieve if that makes sense in sort of like a industry aspect I look at people like do you know the actress Ruth Maidley she's been I, in do, um, yeah. a Doctor Who recently and, and things like that and Brassic and, and shows like that really big shows so I used to volunteer for a disability company called WizKids I don't mm-hmm. know if you're aware of them Yes. 
And we used to work together at WizKids, so I've known Ruth for a long time. I've grown up with Ruth, and well, I, I say I've grown up with Ruth. She's grown, or she's she's been around while I've been growing up and been a good source of like advice and inspiration. So that's probably one of my biggest ones in the industry to see somebody like her do the things that she's been doing is kind of kind of gone like give the sort of inspiration to me to be like you know what nobody's going to stop me I'm I because I think in in the industry we're in Jamie I don't know if you agree you soon realize that your biggest roadblock will only be self you know what I mean so if you can get over that sort of mindset and get over your nerves then the world is your oyster isn't it really yeah 100% and are you very much a goal setting person with that in that you feel like you have to set a goal or target and you will get to that no matter what kind of comes in your way, whether that's a person or whether that's yourself. So, well, that's quite interesting because when I when I was younger, I would have definitely said, yeah, I'm sort of, I, I want to achieve X, Y, and Z. And like, I, I am sort of the ultimate perfectionist. I want to do the best of everything I can do to the best of my abilities. But like the biggest example I, I can give for this is, so I graduated in 2021 or was it 22? No, oh yeah so it was it was the summer of 22 but it should have been 21 because of covid mm-hmm. um i graduated from salford uni with a, a degree in broadcast journalism but six months before my hand in i uh discovered i had a permanent dislocation to my left hip and arthritis of my spine so i took some time out of uni so i only ended up getting a uh what's it called an honorary degree in journalism but before my injury I was on course for a 2-1 so for a long time I was sort of battling with myself I was really sort of disappointed with myself that I couldn't get to the 2-1 and like it wasn't seen as an achievement for me to go to uni and get the degree even though the doctor said that that might not be possible and my mum and dad were so proud because because I set them high standards of myself and like I expect so much of myself it took me a long time to kind of be like you know what, I've been to uni, I've got the degree, like, if you peel that back, it that is a massive achievement in itself, but because I was on course with such, like, high standards, and then something out of my control took that away, it, it was kind of like a internal battle I was having with myself for a while, I guess. And was that a big hurdle that you had to get over mentally in that, like you, like you just said there, it was something that was completely out of your control? I think that's it. I'm very much the type of person that's like, I want things, I, I want to control my life, you know, I, I want to be the one to say where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do with my career. So when something like that happened, it was quite, quite sort of, um, quite a big setback because it's like something out of my control is determined that I can't get a degree to the best of my abilities and the best of my capabilities. So it wasn't like I was annoyed at myself. It was more like I was like, I was kind of, I guess I was kind of feeling sorry for myself a little bit in terms of like, I deserve this 2-1, why, why can't I get the 2-1 sort of, mm. you know? Yeah, and was there a point where like, you realised like, this this isn't it kind of thing, like, this isn't going to stop you from getting to where you wanted to go to before you realised about your, your health issues? So I think it was quite quickly after I graduated um, from uni, I got in contact with, she's called Suzanne Gelhard. She's like the main Oldham Athletic journalist from the Oldham Times. And we got speaking and she offered me a a, a weekly column 
in the Oldham Times to write about Oldham Athletic. And it was that sort of that sort of discussion and that sort of meeting that I realised that like people obviously still care about my opinions and people know who I am regardless of whether I've got the sort of qualifications in my head that I want, you know, I can still make a go of this and people actually still care for my opinions. So I guess that was like the sort of calming sort of point for me to realise that I can make something from this industry and then kind of from there it, that so it just exploded obviously we were both up in the same category at the FCAs which again mm-hmm. I would say a massive congratulations on record to you, Thank um, you. and yeah so I, I guess in the sort of it's weird to say because obviously I'm freelance so I'm not I don't have like a stable income um, from the journalism industry at the minute really I kind of just do as and when. So it's I can't really say like I'm sort of in industry and I'm making strides, but in, a, in like my own sort of way, I feel like last year specifically was my sort of breakthrough year, if you know what I mean. Like I've got I've got contacts now that know who I am. I've got contacts in, in big organisations that know who I am. You know, the the people in like in higher places at my own football club, Oldham Athletic, know who I am. I've yeah. set up a disability supporters association at Oldham Athletic with our chairman Frank Rockwell over the last sort of sixteen months with the help of uh, six other um, disabled supporters, and and that I don't think that would have been able to come into fruition if I didn't have a sort of I wouldn't say a sort of platform before that because I don't really think I've got the biggest of platforms, but I I, I also think that like Oldham fans, especially now, Oldham fans know who I am. You know what I mean. And that, yeah. that that is important when you're creating something like that that's going to affect disabled people and disabled football supporters in a positive light, isn't it? Definitely, and and fair plays to you for setting up the DSA for your club because I'm doing the exact same thing with my club and it's a very, to speak on that specifically, it's a very important kind of vehicle, I suppose, to make, I'd say, disabled fans' voices heard in, in football, which... In my opinion, I don't know if you share it that they're not currently. Um, there's a lot that could be done. I I completely share that uh, ideology because obviously we don't really speak about the past. But so before Frank came in, the sort of we we almost felt as disabled supporters with under Ab- Abdullah and Mo's ownership. I don't know how much you know about the troubles at Latic before Frank came in, but it was really bad and quite a lot of the disabled facilities just kind of got neglected and nobody really give it a second thought, you know, because it's, I always think we're doing, we're doing so much good, good work now to raise disability awareness. And there's podcasts like your brilliant podcast. And I I had a podcast for two years, which I'm sure we'll touch on later, but Mm -hmm. I still sort of think we've maybe got a couple of years to go before disabled people in general are kind of, I don't know if afterthought is the right word. Maybe that's too strong. But I do kind of think when you look at like legislation being made and uh, and new buildings being made with disabled access, it's obvious that they don't consult a, a manual wheelchair user, a blind person, a disabled electric wheelchair user, whoever it is. They should go when they're making these buildings and making these access and get us on the building site and say, how much room do you need in a disabled toilet? You know, like, what do you need? But they don't do that. And I think, to me, that still kind of is a 
quite a powerful indication that maybe not subconsciously, but in society, I think disabled people are still a little bit of an afterthought. I don't know if you agree with that statement. I agree without without just shitting on, excuse my French, the, you know, the able-bodied person. Yeah, of course. It, it is, yeah, it is. And I think afterthought is the right word to use because in a lot of things where the only aim is, you know, let's say, to take your example of, construction and building a football ground or you know building on top of a football ground to improve it disability has been kind of at the bottom of the list for the past you know so many years and whether you know like you said there whether they create corridors or put enough disabled toilets in or whether there's ambulance seating or just anything that makes you know, the, in in football terms, a match day accessible to pretty much everyone. Mm. All those things have just been kind of. We'll get to them once we've done everything else, and yeah. once they've done everything else, they usually don't have time or the money or resources to. Do I mean, at all. I must say though, like for, for all that, I've just had a little bit of a mini rant on the wider scale since Frank and his family and the sort of vibe around Oldham Athletic Football Club has changed for the positive. They have been wonderful with us as the DSA and he, Frank, especially, and Darren Royal. They're so open to have meetings with us at the football club and listen to our ideas and implement our ideas as quickly and as safely as they can do. And I can't thank them enough for that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely doing big things at the football club. And But for me, again, I think because I've got all these wonderful ideas and, and I never really want to be held back in anything... Obviously, what we're doing at Latics is great, but I, I, I've kind of got a bigger picture where I want it to then eventually translate to the wider pyramid, you know what I mean? And and 100%. become become sort of a bigger sort of, maybe a bigger sort of inquest, or I don't know what the word is, but a bigger sort of consultation point for disabled access in Stadia across England. Yeah, and I completely stand with you on that. I find this an interesting point, actually. It's like, obviously, I'm completely blind but like i don't require like at least for myself you know other vision impaired blind people might be different but i don't require much adaptation or any adjustment adjustments to my match day to be for it to be accessible as long as i've got a person with me which these days is my fiance and she describes what's going on on the pitch that kind of is where it stops so i'm always and this is probably one of the reasons i i got you on is i'm always interested to know what it is in a football ground because the football ground is it's it's not like a generic office building or anything like that. there's so much so many kind of building blocks quite literally put together to make a football ground and to make them accessible is not something that you kind of just know off the top of your head so yeah it is a it's, it's, it's a big working problem i'd say it's something that is like like yourself and like me and other people that we know in the disability community are actively working on but obviously like you said you're an Oldham fan you're your basically breathe football like myself yeah where did obviously we're going to re- rewind if i can speak english uh, a few months a few years or whatever it will be back to when did kind of football and journalism and i suppose you call it activism within football to make it more accessible where did that become a passion for you and especially with all the barriers that were in your way and everyone else's way to begin with what did so you I look think, at that and think, yeah, this is this is for me? So I think we I'll start with just my general football journey. Like I 
as as a very very young kid, like maybe like six seven onwards, I used to have a fascination with a TV channel called ESPN Classic, and just watch like the sort of classic football matches that, that they'd put on there. Not even like Oldham specific, just any sort of football I could watch from an early age. I'd be all over it, you know, Premier League years. Like I watch all, all different leagues. I watch all the Premier League. I watch, I just I just obsessed with it really, and and then that's translated. So this year will be my like probably maybe eighteenth, nineteenth, or twentieth. I can't remember year. Um, going to Latics with my dad, uh, and we've probably had a a season ticket for about sixteen or seventeen of them years, uh, between us. So I think when you put that much time into a football club, you Began to, you begin to speak to people on the terraces and, and and you begin to kind of tell your story without without like forcing your story on people because I'm I'm one of them people like I don't want attention as such or I don't want sympathy as such. Like one of my biggest pet peeves, again going off on a bit of a tangent at the minute, and I know it comes from a good place, but I don't know if you get it sometimes. I'll be out in a nightclub, like with my friends or or I'll be out um I'm trying to think where else or I'll be out at like a party or something along their lines or a festival or something, having a good time, having a few drinks, just doing what the thousands of able bodied people in them uh, areas and situations are doing. And -hmm. you just get people coming up to you and going, oh, you're such an inspiration for being here today. And I get that comes from a good place, don't get me wrong. And I'm not moaning that people are saying lovely stuff to me, but also it's like, I wouldn't dream of going up to an able-bodied person and going, you're such an inspiration for going out tonight. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Do you understand what I mean? So it's like, I don't like the attention, but I am very aware that there is there is a market that we need to like grow and there is the needs of disabled people that we need to uh, help and like uh, cater to. And I think Many of my friends and uh, family will tell you, I mean, I don't know whether we're allowed to swear on this podcast, so I'm sorry if you have to edit this. Um, but I am sort of the godshite of my like family and friendship group. And I, like, I've never really suffered with like the lack of confidence. So if I've got an idea or if, I, if I've got like uh, dreams of like helping people out, I'm going to try and do that to the best of my abilities. So when I understood during the Abdullah time and, and time before that the sort of lack of TLC that disabled facilities got at Boundary Park but that's again I'll just be clear it's not just purely down to like neglection and and bad ownership you have to remember Boundary Park is it's it's old yeah Jamie it's mm. it's, yeah. it's it's a traditional English football ground isn't it I don't know whether you've mm. been yourself but it's, it's I haven't quite, there, but I'm, yeah I'm aware of the kind of structure of it yeah yeah it's got quite that sort of like rustic, traditional English football ground feel to it. And that's what people love. But also that's where the problem is in terms of like, because it's tradition and because, you know, it's been there for 50, 60, 70, 100 plus years, whatever it is. It's some of the infrastructure and building work is harder to get into and change because of that. Um, but like I said, we're making positive strides but we're not done yet and I think as a group now um ODID so that is Oldham Athletic Disability Inclusion and Diversity Supporters Association a mouthful I know we're very happy with the work that we've done in our sort of opening year opening 16 months but we're very aware that the the work's not done and it probably won't be done for maybe you know five seven maybe ten years 
but we're we're all sort of like passionate and keen to sort of keep that workforce going and keep the sort of uh driving like a uh, passion for change. So yeah, yeah. And that is the thing in it with football is you know I'm sure even if you're not a football fan and you're listening, football has been around for you know what hundred fifty years somewhere I don't know right around that roughly and. Some of the football grounds, like Boundary Park, have been there for <laughs> like 100, 150 years, some a bit less. But even if you go back to grounds that were built in the, in the say, mid-1900s, they're still, like now, they are, like you said, seen as a very traditional, stereotypical football ground where it's kind of hard to build on. Like it, that, that is literally the block, is that, it's hard to install these kind of modern day access to these old fashioned football grounds. And that is the main barrier. And ironically, and funnily enough, as always, the most expensive barrier. Yes. So it, it is a challenge, isn't it, to find ways around that without having to break the bank. Yeah, exactly. I think I think that's a really interesting point because I don't know how, how much of a tangent we want to go on, but but that isn't just in football. I think now we're seeing that in sort of everyday life for disabled people. You know, we we just seen the probably shocking and abhorrent decision from the government just before uh, the turn of the year. You know about the Dis- disability minister doubling up on mm-hmm. a, a like I can't remember what her secondary role was, but she based uh, or um, they basically came out and said that they were going to put more sort of effort and time and money and finance into her second role. And I think that just sums it up for me. Like, yeah, it's, it's it because it's so expensive. It's almost like, oh, we'll do it if we can afford it. And don't get me wrong, I, I get that. I get that completely. Football is a business, and it will always be a business. Um, but at the end of the day, disabled supporters are a vital part of any fan base. And if you create blocks for them, disabled supporters not to go, at the end of the day, you're losing a very like valuable and important part of your van base are you exactly yeah. and, and and you mentioned there that it <laughs> about the government and unfortunately things stem from the top of just society full stop you go right to the top and it obviously trickles down and goes into all your different industries and different kinds of societies and not much is going to be fixed or not all of it or as much as you want is going to be fixed unless something at the top changes and creates a new kind of image of disabled people because you know whether you want whether people want to admit it or not if in this case what we're talking about a government is showing that let's be honest they don't care about disabled people then you know the everyday person who maybe hasn't doesn't doesn't have a friend or has have a family member who's disabled why should they care because the government don't care and they're the people running the country so why should i care about disabled people and that is the negative impact something a decision that maybe seems small to others but is huge to us that's the big impact it will have yeah exactly and i don't know it's just it's, it's a difficult one and it? it's it's a it's a it's a challenging one but like you said we yeah. people like me and yourself we we do what we do in kind of in context of the passions that we have so in our in our case it's many football the thing is as well, Jamie, I think, I mean, obviously it's not just about the sort of the sort of plaudits and and the sort of recognition, but I think it is showing to me if 
if you would have said so i i still class myself as kind of you know very sort of very very early and sort of not putting too much pressure on my career just yet because i'm literally just over maybe 18 19 months after graduation so yes. if if you would have said to me like in that sort of 18 19 months period i would have set up a disability sports association at my football club and been up for uh for two football content award nominations in that first 18 19 months i would have took your hand off for it you know what i mean so it's it's always important to sort of yes we want to push on and yes we want to press for more but you always should like take that sort of self-reflection and, and be like you know what like I've done a lot this year and and I should be proud of myself for that and I think that is something I'm learning now about myself a little bit more to to sort of do that self-reflection a bit more and be proud of my achievements because if I'm being honest I've had a very very good year like something that I can be very proud of and yes I want to press on now but like I've been able to do some things that that you know, some people, some people can't and have experiences that some people won't. And I think it's important to never lose sight of that and always be like blessed for them opportunities and, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. You raise a, a very good point. And I think I am also guilty of that in that as a disabled person, you know, it's never done. The work is never done. Like there's, there's always something to do after one task is completed. You know, in your case and in my case, whether it's social media, whether it's physical and do you think and this is what i think that we are as i say with people guilty of just not stopping looking around us looking at the work the work we've done and the achievements we had and thought hang on like i am doing something here because you know people are whether it's employing me people are voting for me people are acknowledging the work that i'm doing and i'm just kind of accepting it and then moving on to the next thing we're not stopping and thinking this is like I should kind of take in more of me, so to speak. I think you raise a really good point, but to me, and I don't want to sound like a like sort of a big-headed dickhead when I'm saying this, I, I do think it all comes down to like mindset and you know how mentally strong you are because like I don't want to like c- come on here and say like I am like the hardest worker or whatever, but like I obviously I won't name any names, but I know disabled people are not necessary in this industry, but disabled people I've gone to school with or grown up with that are very sort of, yes, they've had it tough and yes, their disability I could never like understand or really like relate to. But I know a lot of disabled people that just expect things to happen for themselves just mm-hmm. because they're disabled or they expect people to feel sorry for themselves. And for me, like what I'm learning in this industry, especially I feel like we've got to work maybe twice as hard as like most people to get noticed, you know, in this industry. And I'm okay with that because I've always had that good sort of work ethic and I like earning my opportunities. And I've just, I just know that you've got to work hard to get noticed and I'm okay with that. I've never want the opportunities that I've I've had or I'm going to have handed to me on a silver platter because then I've not worked for them. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? 100% 100% yeah and, and when you do work hard and you have that drive when you get to whether it's an award ceremony or you get a specific job role it kind of means that bit more than it because you know you've worked that bit harder. Yeah, exactly and the thing is I mean you, you've got a question whether I'm a bit mental anyway to be fair because I, I, I kind of made the decision maybe at 16, 15 whatever it was 
to go in probably one of the most doggy dog competitive industry like industries in probably in the country, regardless of whether I've got a physical impairment or not. You know what I mean? So mm. like it's difficult to nail down jobs and and get full time jobs or or freelance jobs anyway in the journalism industry, let alone having a physical or or mental impairment or whatever it might be. Haven't made it easy, easy for yourself, Aaron. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I like oh, the challenge, Jamie. Oh yeah, we we all do, don't we? Um, I'm interested to know. So, obviously, kind of the the word's gone out my my head now, but kind of the the epitome of the past twelve months for you, I'd imagine, would be getting into the FCA's final. You know, in, was it, is it two awards you were nominated for? So yeah, so um, all did the Disability Supporters Association was up for the organisational right, yeah. uh, Disability Inclusion and Diversity Award and then me, myself, as an individual was in your category um, mm-hmm. for, at the our award. category, don't don't say mine, it's ours <laughs> listen, you're the winner <laughs> so I'm, I'm really interested to you know like your kind of that journey leading up to that point, obviously you mentioned you're, you're one of the co-founders of the Oldham Athletic equality diversity inclusion dsa whatever everyone calls it different don't they um um yeah that's generally interesting so your your journey in journalism up until that from the past time say because i know now and i am myself a member of Luxworks media which you are and you have been for a certain amount of time so yeah so what, I've, what I've was been, the lead up to that so I, i'll start right at the beginning um so at I did a um, college course in media production. And then after college, I originally decided I'm going to go down the route of like apprenticeship rather than, you know, looking for full-time work straight away. So I applied um, for an apprenticeship to be a, a on a journalism apprenticeship with BBC Sport. And I got to the final interview stage at Mailbox um in Birmingham you probably know it quite well I didn't get the apprenticeship but then two days later BBC Sport rang me back and offered me a year's contract as a broadcast assistant so I was working for BBC Sport for a year as an 18 year old which mm-hmm. looking back now was probably one of the best years of my career to date even now but also it's it's quite mental to think that like as an 18-year-old fresh out of college, I was working for an organisation like the BBC. You know, yeah, that's crazy when I, you think about it. And like, I, I got to do some crazy, like, really good things. I got to help with the uh, gallery uh, shift from media city of the 2018-19 Champions League final, the also known as the Bale overhead kick um, Champions yeah. League final, and that was just crazy because I were our workforce at the time was just full of um, Liverpool fans and Scousers that were just crying and it was quite <laughs> a funny quite a funny night. But yeah, and then I did uh, like some logging shifts for the Commonwealth Games. So yeah, it, it's just been like a really sort of, that was a really sort of valuable year to kind of get my sort of appetite in my first for the industry. And mm. then from there then, I kind of struggled for a pay for a period to decide what I wanted to go and do uh, in, in terms of do I go and seek another apprenticeship straight away or another year somewhere else? Because I, I always knew with the BBC, they always said it was a one-year contract. So I knew after that one year was up, I was either 
going to try and apply somewhere with the BBC or go elsewhere. And I spoke to my line manager, Chris Visser, who, again, when we talk about influences and, and people that you hold in high regard, I'll always ha have nothing but positive things to say about Chris and, and that workforce in, in general. I, I spoke to them and I was like, look, I'm a bit I'm a bit stuck. I'm a bit at a crossroads now. I don't really know where I want to go in my career. And they was like, they was like, Aaron, we, we think you've got like a really, you know, good future in this industry, but we think maybe your your time is now to go to uni and get your degree and then maybe come back and have the discussion once you've got your degree. So lo and behold, that's then what I decided to do. I went to Salford Uni, uh, Media City Campus again. So I, again, I've always been around them sort of organisations. They've always been on my doorstep, you know. So I've had yeah. ITV on my, my door, I've had... BBC on my door and that's kind of helped me in a way and that that's something I'm grateful for as well but so I went did three years at uni and obviously the uni experience was a lot it was probably a lot more challenging than I thought it was going to be if I'm being honest because I never really saw myself as an academic and I still really don't I'm more of sort of like a streetwise practical person but yeah. like the uni experience was, was again probably one of the the, the best things I've ever done and some of my friends I've now got like lifelong friends and and stuff and obviously we were one of the COVID classes so that then added its whole sort of other like challenges to that and you know like um from home learning and online learning that was just it it was frustrating because like you want to be on campus you want to be going to do practical like work placements but that wasn't really available at the time although in first year before covid happened i uh did a work placement with salford city football club and the mm -hmm. media department and again speaking of people that i can't speak highly enough of uh will at salford city he basically invited me in and, uh, and let me do let me go to cover games for our university website called salford now and that was sort of my first time in with a football club and reporting on games. And then from the back of there, then I, I got my university degree, decided to go freelance. And since then I've done, I've done, like I said, bits with Oldham Times. I've done bits and bobs of freelance with uh, BBC Sport. I've done bits with Manchester United. I've done, obviously I'm at Luxport Media now a little bit more regular and a little bit more permanent. So yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of, here there and everywhere and as long as it's sport I'm going to be involved you know and that's that's something I um I, I'm kind of looking to press on with now because I, I think I've got the experience and I've obviously got without like blowing too much smoke up my own ass I do think I've got <laughs> like the the good sort of personality to be able to exceed in this industry you know and and yeah so that's a little bit about me and then of course I, I forgot to mention I had my own disability podcast for two years while I was at uni. We decided to create one, me and my best friend at uni at the time, called the CPME podcast. And um, basically, on that podcast, we, each week we'd get somebody on with a different disability to speak about um, their disability and their story and stigmas around disability in general. So sometimes we'd do, like, disability-specific episodes, but then sometimes we'd do topics specific episodes so that could be like dating for disabled people uh what a night out looks like for a disabled people sex for disabled people basically any sort of topic that we could think of that might have a taboo 
attached to it, we'd try and like break down and sort of break the stigmas of and and that became quite a successful um avenue, but we stopped it in third year of uni because we knew we were doing our like final major projects and uh, and sort of dissertation. So we knew we had to put some time into that. But spoiler alert, um I'm looking to bring it back within the next couple of months. Um I am gonna do it solo though, because unfortunately me and me and the host at the time that did it the first time, we don't we don't really keep in contact anymore. We don't really speak. So I'm I would be doing it solo, but that is something I'm excited to kind of rehash and, and relook at. Um but yeah, I just realized that I basically give you a, a bloody essay then of my career. Um but at <laughs> least at least it should give you a, a good indication of kind of where I've come from and what I'm looking to do. Yeah, 100%. And um, honestly, what I say to people in here when they speak to me is whatever you're telling me, no matter how short or how long it takes, obviously you're saying it because it means something to you and it's important to you. So if it's important to you and it means something to you, it's the exact same for myself. And I, as far as I'm concerned, need to know that to, to kind of understand you that bit more. And do you think... I don't know if disability kind of comes into this or not, but do you think that, or are you one of those people that if an opportunity comes your way, you kind of just take it, just, you know, to see what happens. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And you try it. If it does, then great. Or uh, do you look at your opportunities? I know this is very cheesy, but as I've got older, I've become a very big believer of like, we've only got one shot of life and without trying to be too morbid and, and sound like, you know, like you don't know what's around the corner do you so you've just got to take everything what you can and I think especially sort of trying to find my feet as a a freelancer if you would that's kind of what you've got to do you know you've got to cling on to the opportunities when you come because like I spoke about this on another podcast but I'll touch upon it I think when people think of freelance you think oh yeah it's good because you've got you know freedom to do your own thing and and kind of like socially you can do whatever you want and and then you can get as much work in your portfolio as you can do and work with different organisations. And while all that's true, there's, there's sort of the negative side of it, which I'm kind of, I'll be honest, I'm kind of experienced at the minute. Some Sometimes you can go maybe four, five, six months without a paycheck because if you're not picking up them shifts, you've got no, you know, next to no money coming in. And, and that's kind of the side of the sort of freelance industry that, that they kind of didn't teach us at uni. They always they always said freelance will be the best option to pick up opportunities. And of course, there is that side of it, but there is also a, like a a negative side of it in terms of the financial side of it for like you. And if you've got like, aspirations like mortgages or whatever it is, it, it it makes it a bit more difficult to attain them because of that side of things. But um, I guess that's why, like you say, you've got to kind of clutch on to them opportunities when when you come because you don't know when your next one will be. Yeah, and that is the thing. I think it'd be naive of someone to say freelance is the best avenue to go down if you want to be a journalist or whatever it is. Because like you said, there's, there's there's no certainty of when you'll get paid next. You know, especially like you said, if you've got things you need to pay for, it's bills or generic stuff. Like it's not, it's great in that, like you say, you can go to work for multiple organizations. You can meet loads of new people, make new connections and create a network. But if you go three months without you know getting paid those connections and networks they don't pay the bills like you've you've got to do something and i suppose you've got to be mentally strong as well to go through that period i think something is going to come my way and obviously eventually it will 
Absolutely. I think that that's the thing for me. I think it's like there's been times, and don't get me wrong, I, I've, I've like really struggled at times with the fact that, you know, you can just be kind of um, sat just waiting. But that's where I'm very thankful for an organisation like Oxford Media that's obviously in in its very early infancy. And obviously I'm not, I'm not claiming to make, you know, loads and loads of money or anything like that off it but I'm doing something regular now that I know we can build from the bottom and you know I'm hopefully I'm going to be in it from like beginning to end or what you know depending on where it goes like I'm going to be in there now and I'm going to be doing the podcasts and whatever and that kind of keeps me busy then because then like, I think the other side of freelance as well is like well for me like I've struggled with like anxiety and like high functioning anxiety in the past and I still struggle with it now so if I don't keep my brain active sometimes I can get quite anxious and get quite in my own head about you know not getting x y and z or not getting like paid opportunities and not having any money or whatever it might be so but mm. I have to keep myself busy for that reason so with work sport like you've seen our schedule we do we pretty much do a podcast every night um yeah so yeah, it's it's keeping me busy at the minute, and long may that continue. And I'm see, like we said earlier on, we are. I am now a, a member of the <clears throat> the team, which is pretty cool. But I, I'm interested to know your kind of journey through Luxport and how did that come about, and how is it as as an organisation and as a team to be a part of. So I, I'll be honest. In terms of Luxport, I didn't. So I'm, obviously it's a it's a like um a merger of this new company, but also uh, lower league luck with Liam and Grant, who obviously ran the successful podcast for a long time before Look What Media came on the uh, case, and then Ryan moved over from another company called um the Real EFL to join on and create Look What Media, and then. Ryan, me and Ryan then had a conversation and I was like, look, I'd love to get involved. Here's my sort of my credentials, my CV, like let me know what what, what you think. And then and then I got added into the WhatsApp group chaps and then it was just all go from there, really. Obviously, we're only about maybe three, four months into the whole sort of looks what media company birth anyway. So it's still very early and very new. But I've said this and I don't just say this because I like just saying this to make people feel good like I've been very very thankful to be in some really good workforces and some big organizations but in terms of a family and that sort of family unit of like really supporting people and but also having a good laugh with your work colleagues and like enjoying your work is probably one of the strongest most uh like loving and like um encouraging and supportive workforces I've ever been a part of so yeah I'm I'm, I'm really enjoying my time there and like I, I'm really appreciative for like Ryan and Grant and Liam and Hannah for kind of giving me the sort of platform to be like we know what you can do you don't need to ask us to do x y and z you go and do it for us and you go and showcase what you can do because we have that belief in you and I think that's what everyone needs from time to time right 100% and that, that is it's that obviously we spoke about earlier on that you know a big thing for uh, for people like me and yourself or to say is self-belief but that also needs to be met with belief from people you're working with especially the people you know metaphorically above you and for them to give you the confidence to say we believe in your skills and your abilities 
go and do what you want to do that's i'm guessing a big kind of motivation to just do it and be confident with what you are doing and know that it's going to be valued yeah absolutely because at the end of the day we can i can sit here and say you know i i've got a, a mindset where i'm going to achieve what i want to achieve and nobody's really going to stop me but like you just said somebody's got to then buy into like you and give you them opportunities for you to mm. go and excel and and like that's what i feel like i'm getting the opportunity with now and it's something i'll always be grateful of and and something I always look to give back, you know, and and yeah, it's it's going really well, and we're just having fun with it and creating our own sort of we're we're making our own sort of waves together in the industry, and like it's different to any sort of organisation I've worked in in terms of like the amount of creativity on that workforce and the amount of passion for like football and, and podcasting is like nothing I've seen before, and like I, I know the guys pride themselves like our tagline is professionally unprofessional isn't it um and that is something I really like it's it's almost kind of like we can just be ourselves without the pressure of sort of being like you know these polished media trained like sort of robots if you would because obviously I know the big organizations need them and I've had that sort of grounding where I'm quite good with my media training but also you need a bit of authenticity in this industry and I don't think we have enough of it you know like yeah sometimes sometimes you go to these big organizations and they'll say oh we need you to kind of maybe water down your accent or you know if you're going on tv or whatever it is like whatever it might be like you've got to kind of fit their sort of ideologies and their sort of ways of doing things which is fair enough I guess when you're at a big organization like that I understand that comes with the territory but with something like Oxford you can just be unapologetically yourself mm, water down your accent i find that a bit bit bonkers like no go away <laughs> <laughs> this this is my accent leave me alone so obviously I'm, 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 by the way i completely echo everything you said there and i've only been in a, a group chat for a few days now and you do very much get that vibe that it's just it's almost like a group of mates all working on one thing that they're they're passionate about that's purely what it is and whether that's podcasting or writing they're bouncing ideas off each other, things to add in each other's articles to talk about on one of the podcasts. It's it is a very relaxed, but it it literally is the slogan, I suppose, the, the professional and professionalism. It 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 is that because that's the kind of vibe it gives. But it is professional, <laughs> if that makes any yeah. sense. I mean, all. we 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 got nominated for um, the awards, didn't we? At the I can't remember what it was. Was it the EFL Hub? uh awards maybe we got we got um third place in the podcast of like the EFL podcast of the year mm-hmm. um and we'd only been going for like a month and a half at that point so the the sort of untapped potential and the sort of the, the room to sort of take it where we want to take it is kind of I don't know it's it's kind of limitless really isn't limitless, it? Yeah. yeah like it's kind of ours to sort of do a, a mold really yeah and no, I completely the echo everything's in and if if anyone is listening that has a remote interest in in football whether that's in podcast form or article form then definitely search them up on online and on social media um and you'll be seeing things from aaron and and me uh every now and then on there um and if if literally if you have any interest in football no matter what area of football it is then definitely get following and get listening 
So going forward for yourself, obviously you mentioned obviously you're at Luxport Media now more permanently than previously, and you've potentially got your podcast that you had at uni coming back up onto the onto the radar. How does the future look for you now, whether that's short or long term? Well, I'm not sort of I'm not normally a big believer in like um New Year's resolutions, but I have actually set myself two this year. Um Go on. So, so so my first one is I am quite again, we could probably talk about this for hours, but I don't want this to become like a four hour podcast. I've always been big uh, big on like my fitness and like even though I'm I'm in a wheelchair it doesn't mean I can't be fit and can't be in the gym. So well, I've got a personal trainer. I, I do two sessions a week at the minute. Um, and I'm looking to sort of crack on with that and like up my sessions with my personal trainer just just to get myself like in a position where I'm sort of because I'm I'm happy with my like my health and, and my physique now, if that's what we want to call it. But I, I think I can go at, like to a different level, like with a little bit more focus. So that's one of my ones um, that I'm doing at the minute, a lot more sort of gym work. But then sort of work-related, we were talking about like the, the drawbacks of freelance that we nobody really talks about, and it kind of moulds into that. Obviously, I'm going to stick with Luxport Media until they decide that they're sick of me. But kind of like an internal deadline I've set myself is I'm going to try and get into some sort of paid work, whether that be contracted or or like full-time employment somewhere or whatever it might be by my 25th birthday, which is on the 23rd of uh, 23rd of February. So that's my two this year. And they are yeah, very plausible goals, I would say. Like some people have like mad ones, don't they? Like ones that you have to wait until the end of like, well, basically December 2024 to find out if they've achieved or not. But you've got, you, mm-hmm. I suppose you've, you've set yourself specific goals that I hope that you, uh, you achieve just, for you, for yourself yeah who knows but again I think it comes down to I've never been one to stand sometimes it can be maybe one of my negatives but also it's one of my biggest positives I don't I mean I'm gonna sound like fucking Jose Mourinho here or something but <laughs> I, I don't feel pressure you, you know I don't feel pressure for myself but anyway I'm a big believer in like you put the effort in and it will come eventually. You know what I mean? I'd, like, although I've said that I want to be in full-time employment by like, the 23rd of February, if full-time employment doesn't come till the summer, but I'm actively working hard and actively improving myself and actively seeking opportunities, I'm not going to beat myself up for not being in the job by February if it happens in the summer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and that, that is... I'd say a, a skill in some respects that when people do set deadlines or goals, targets, that they're very strict on that and think I have to hit it, otherwise if I don't, it's a failure. But like your way, your view, which I probably kind of I can relate to myself, is that you know, I'll set it, it's kind of a loose somewhat goal or target. And if I don't hit it, then fair enough, it, you know, shit happens. But as long as I'm working hard and, and improving myself, then that's the main thing. I think that's it. Without trying to sound like some sort of motivational Instagram guru, it's, no. I, I'm a big, <laughs> I'm a big believer in like you. Yes, we can have failures and setbacks, but also without failures and setbacks, we can't improve ourselves. You know, mm. so we can learn so much from setbacks and and failures. And uh, and to rob something off one of my favorite podcasts, which is Gary Neville's Overlap podcast, um, he does a segment called. Uh, 
uh, failure is a bruise, not a tattoo, um, which basically is that sort of saying in terms of like, yes, we might stumble and yes, we might fail, but it, a failure isn't permanent. It's only going to be permanent if you allow yourself in your head to, to, to beat yourself up and never let go of a failure. A failure is uh, to be learned upon and, and to give you some sort of guidance to know where you, you might have gone wrong in an area or where you might need some support in an area to then improve yourself and make sure you don't land yourself in that spot again. That's how I see it anyway, you know? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And that. That kind of saying is probably perfect for that really. And I literally spoke about this in the, um, the last podcast about failure and it is very much a societal thing that the con connotations that we give the word failure which i think stems from education is that failure is bad if you fail that's it you're done you've got no hope where like you said there failure is very much it's failure if you let it fail you like if you can look back on what you've done and point out where you've maybe dropped a bit or somewhere where you could have done better and then do it again and get better and better and better even if you fail five times and then succeed on the six that overall is a success and those quote-unquote failures are just just attempts like and in, in those attempts you've improved yourself yeah perfect exactly exactly so um, like i said we could probably talk for for ages on you know whether it's disability or whether it's journalism or kind of success failure but i've yeah, I, I think we've covered a, a fair bit, and it's um, yeah, it's been a it's been a pleasure speaking to you, Aaron. Yeah, thank you so much um for letting me on, and and like I said, you do some amazing things for our our community, and not just this the disabled community either. You you are sort of a reference point for somebody like me to to sort of be like, you know, what I'm I'm doing well in my own lane, but like you're somebody that I think I can lean upon now and like ask for advice and that's important and valuable to me and I just want to say that like as a friend I'm I'm very proud of like what what you are achieving and um continue to achieve and I can't wait to see what this year holds for you and like I said I'm very thankful for the opportunity to come on the podcast and hopefully we get to work together more uh frequently this year and thank you for the extremely kind words that is a uh, very very kind of you and uh, likewise I want to see nothing but success from you this year and i'm sure we will whether that be in a permanent format or or not you will get it because like we said you've worked hard extremely you will get there whether it's whatever it is you want to do you will get there so thank you very much and once again thank you for taking time at your day to to speak to me and if people want to follow your journey whether that's on social media or elsewhere where can they uh where can they find you yeah, so um, I am at Aaron Diskin one on Twitter or mm -hmm. on Instagram as well. Um, so my Instagram's a bit a bit more funny and a bit more disabled related. I am Diskin eight ninety nine. Um, and <laughs> a quick little little story behind that. So obviously the first part is my surname, and then the second the second part is related to the Terminator because I'm part metal. And then the 99 is the year I was born. So, yeah, I like that's Discon899 that. on Instagram if you want to follow a bit more of the behind the scenes of my sort of journey and my career, then that's where I put more of the sort of behind the scenes stuff. It needs to be more of the creativity behind people's usernames because in too many times it's just first initial surname, year born. <laughs> just, yeah, exactly, which yeah. I'm 
I was guilty for, but yeah. But yeah, 100% follow Aaron on social media and definitely find his work on Luxport uh, with the National League podcast and everything else that comes with it. If you want to find myself, you can at that blind ad on Twitter slash X, which is the only platform I use, or TBL Media UK for the podcast specific account. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode.